Number two, as you find your place there, I would share one thing with you. I don't want to forget it. Uh, Miss Walleen, or a couple things actually. Miss Walleen uh, had one stent put in yesterday. She's doing well, home recovering, and they decided to deal with the other one through medicine. And so uh, some things they didn't want to do, putting another stent in. So she had that. Everything went well. She's at home recovering. So continue to pray for Miss Walleen Bloshes. And then ask you to pray for Jan Holverson, her brother's family. He passed away last Friday night later, early Saturday morning, uh, Derry Spiller. So pray for the family. And uh, I think they have a celebration of life uh, event coming up in a week and a half or so, something there. So pray for Jan, pray for uh, Derry Spiller's family, especially his wife. Lord, give strength and comfort during this time, if you will. And so just remember those as we go to our prayer time a little bit later on. But I did not want to forget those. All right, Second Timothy chapter 2. Hope you have a prayer outline. If you don't, we have one um, available to you. Um, Brother Joel is going to come down the middle aisle, so you get his attention. If you need an outline, we'd love for you to follow along. And uh, our title has blanks. We're going to get to those in a moment. And uh, suspense, it's good, all right? And so uh, we'll talk about what, what Paul is really speaking to, to Timothy about in this passage here. You remember, and again, as Joel makes his way to the back, if you need an outline, just get his attention, and we'll get you one in your hands. You remember a couple weeks or several weeks now, we were in the book of Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 4, we have that familiar phrase, the just shall live by faith. And uh, we've commented before how it's repeated three times in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, and then Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 28, okay? And... uh, uh, the, the, this isn't necessarily on your outline, so don't look for the blanks that are up there, okay? So just stay, stick with me and consider it still intro, all right? So remember, we, we, we found these and we see these. We, we've talked about them before. And uh, as this truth is repeated, the fact is we saw a different focus in each of those books. When in Romans, the focus was on the just part of the just shall live by faith. In Galatians, the focus was on the living. Specifically, you and I don't live under the law anymore. We're under Christ. And so our living that, that transpires from uh, the new life in Christ is to be lived in Christ, not under the law. And then Hebrews, obviously, with its wonderful chapter, the hall of faith, it focuses on the faith aspect of the statement the just shall live by faith. But in that statement, the just shall live by faith, what is it that we are really being told? What, what can we boil it down and say, okay, this is literally what Christ, what God is telling you and I. And I, I think we would say it this way, and that's the title of our message. Our faith is supposed to produce a faithfulness. See, it's a faithfulness that is produced by faith, if we could put it this way. Sometimes we say the Christian life, oh, there ought to be fruit, there ought to be evidence of the Christian life, and that's true, and that's certainly borne out in Scripture. There ought to be that proof, that evidence uh, of that reality, it says throughout the uh, whole New Testament. But think if we could just kind of conglomerate that. Literally what it's saying is faithfulness produced by your faith. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, the reality is it ought to produce a faithfulness. In your living, in everything, in every area of your life, it ought to produce a faithfulness to God. And you say, well, Pastor Henry, you're going to preach about faithfulness, and it's a Wednesday night crowd. We're the faithful people. And so it is, and I commend you for that in many ways. But aren't there many areas of our life that we are called to faithfulness? Certainly, church attendance is great. It's important in the gathering together. Amen. And yet, here's what I've known, because I've been a part of them, so you'll know why this is true. Um, I know even the best of choirs hit a wrong note every once in a while. You say, you're preaching to the choir. Well, yes, maybe we are in some ways, but reality is every choir hits a bad note every once in a while. If you need evidence, I can get Pastor Aaron up here and we could ask him. 
Yeah, every choir does, doesn't it? And you and I, we aren't perfect in our faithfulness. And the reality is, you and I have areas in which maybe we've let faithfulness kind of slack off. Maybe, maybe we've neglected an area in our Christian walk in our life where faithfulness is not what it ought to have been. And yet, throughout the New Testament, this is the focus. Remember Jesus Christ in his parable recorded for us in the gospel, the parable of the talents. Remember how he introduced that. And his introduction was simply the fact that uh, th- this is the kingdom of God. Here's the kingdom of heaven. And may I remind you tonight, as he talked about that parable, you and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. When he said this is the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about you and I. He's talking about every believer. And as he goes on to describe it, he said our reward is marked by us hearing a simple truth. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul would reiterate it a different way. He would say this, it is required of a steward to be found faithful. And I love that statement because here's reality. A steward has something in their possession. Get it, okay? You can't be required to be faithful in something if you don't have it. But a steward has something in their possession. They are responsible for something. And I love it. The the scripture says the principle, if you have something, you're required to be faithful in that something. And so reality is if you and I have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are called to a faithfulness. Literally, God says, I, I, I sometimes think in heaven, God's if you have the faith, it ought to produce a faithfulness. It ought to be evident in your lives and not faltering, not uh, allowing one area of your life to lack faithfulness, but every area you're faithful. And that's really what Paul talks about and speaks to Timothy about in this passage. He describes what the faithfulness that is produced by faith looks like uh, to this preacher boy. And as he is leading a church and and impacting people, he says, all right, Timothy, here's what a faithfulness looks like, a faith that produces a faithfulness. Now, you know, first thing that we would describe, I find it interesting when someone finds out somebody else has served in the military or they have uh, been in the military, they've been in the armed forces one way, immediately the question that sometimes comes is, how long have you served, right? How long have you served? Or where did you serve? They didn't know the particular armed force. What, 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 what branch did you serve in? I love that terminology because that's exactly what, Tim, what Paul says to Timothy. He brings that whole analogy of somebody who's serving in the military. He says, okay, let's talk about first and foremost this area in verses 1 through 7. He says, okay, number one, there needs to be faithfulness in serving. A faithful serving. Be faithful and serve. Look at verse number one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, verse number three, 2 Timothy chapter number two, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we, we see the context. We're talking about serving here. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier and if a man also strive for masteries yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully verse six the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits consider what i say and the lord give the understanding in all things okay so the first area paul says number one timothy the first thing you've got to be found faithful in is in your serving 
Is our faith producing a faithfulness in the area of serving the Lord? Are we regularly living in such a way that it can be said of us that you and I are in the service of the king? I love that thought. When people look at you and yet you say, okay, well, I got to do this. I do this every day and I do this once a week. And I, I, at the church, I do this. And even in my daily life, I do this. When people look at your life and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, look, look, they are in the service of the king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. They are serving, not themselves, not somebody here on earth. They are serving Jesus Christ. Would your faithfulness in serving belay that or belie that? Or could somebody say about you, you're AWOL. You're AWOL. Let's stick with the military term because Paul did. Or the military theme, I should say. It's a good military term, right? What does it mean? You, some of you who are in the military, you know it's absent without official leave. Now, the hope is that there is not an intent to desert, okay? But reality is it's, a, it, it's absent. It's, it's not in your place. It's not being faithful. It's not being found. You know, I, I always wonder, maybe in areas that God has laid on our heart to serve, things that God has called us to do, I wonder if sometimes he looks and he goes, wait a minute, we're so-and-so. Didn't the Holy Spirit speak to them and say, hey, lay them on their heart. They need to serve in that way. Where are they? They're not there. They're AWOL, as the term would describe us. He says, number one, in verse number one, be strong. Okay? You, you, you be faithful, literally, is the thought that flows through these few verses. Be strong. Stick to it. Be faithful in your service. And then he also says, listen, look out among you faithful men. Faithful men who can serve. They're not going to go AWOL. They're not going to, in the face of adversity, they're not, going to, they're not going to run and hide. They're going to be ones that you can commit the truth to, and then they can be faithful in their serving of the Lord. It's interesting. Real quick, you know what Paul does? He identifies three things. Three things that threaten our faithfulness in service. And verse number three, he says, he commands, really, endure, right? So there's a lack of endurance at times that threatens our faithfulness. Why? Because the path forward, Paul knows that it's difficult. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a hard path. Any war or battle is difficult. It's going to be hard, he said, the, the hardness. I, man, what a statement. Hey, Paul, we're trying to win, uh, we're, we're trying to win people. To t- we're trying to get people to get on board. You're telling them it's hard? Yeah. Endure, thou therefore endure hardness. As a good soldier. I love reading history. I love reading uh, even historical fiction that incorporates history and so forth. And I, I, I specifically have come recently to really enjoy World War II and the reading about that and things as it transpired, how America came into the war and so forth, and things that transpired in Europe under the, the dark shadow there and then how we took it back. Just, but it's, it's amazing to read of the accounts and maybe um, uh, some journals that soldiers made of what they went through, the hardness and the, and the, and the fighting and just the hunkering down. And, and oh my goodness, just unbelievable the hardness that soldiers went through. Serving America, defending freedom. And yet Paul plays on that. And he says, listen, endure the hardness. Like what? A good soldier. Like a good soldier, make sure that you understand, yeah, is it going to be difficult? Yes, but here's the key. It's going to be hard. You're going to face hardness. But true faith doesn't throw in the towel when serving is hard. 
It doesn't falter and stop serving when the way gets difficult. You don't, you don't just say, I'm done serving. I, 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 I served my time. I, I put in my time serving the Lord in this way or in this area. It doesn't go AWOL. It doesn't go AWOL when our serving seems to accomplish very little, when the fruit is minimal, when serving isn't appreciated, when serving goes unnoticed. No, no, why do you serve? Well, true faith produces faithfulness. It's not about all the accolades. It's not about somebody patting you on the back. It's not about the fruit. It is about what? My faith in Jesus Christ. And it produces a faithfulness in serving. I'll serve him until I die. I want to be faithful in service. He uses the military theme here, but so many lack endurance. Paul would often say, be steadfast, unmovable. Don't be weary in well-doing. Can I just tell you? Listen, I grew up in the ministry of pastor's home. I've been around ministry my entire life. Is it wearisome at times? Yes. Is it hard at times? Unbelievably so. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, nursery worker, an usher, a deacon, a pastor, there is hardness to the battle and the war. But my dear friend, the faith that we have must produce a faithfulness to serve. Till God calls us home, may he find us faithful. May we not suffer in our serving due to a lack of endurance. Number two, you know what else he says in verse number four? Yeah, yeah. Let's keep the alliteration going, right? A life of entanglement. Uh, uh, great verse, verse number four. You see, if you forget that we're in a spiritual battle, it becomes easy to become entangled with the temporal affairs of this world. I've talked about the West and how I believe Satan has certainly, this is his ploy. This is his attempt to get you and I as Christians. He, he loves to entangle us. He, oh boy, he loves to get us focused on things. How quickly our service can wane when our lives are full of the distractions, the demands, and the offerings of this world. How soon we falter in our faithfulness in serving because we can become entangled with the fleeting things of this world. Paul says, don't get entangled. Don't allow yourselves, the, the hooks of the world, don't allow the vines of the world to get you and pull you down and entangle you so you stop serving God. You put in first. I can imagine and, uh, when we think of soldiers in different wars, the temptation, the temptation to go back home to all the creature comforts, to, to get away from this marching and this fighting, to, to, to flee that and uh, get distracted by what's going on back at home. The reality is you and I can become entangled in the things of this world. And I love what Paul says to ground you and I. You see what he says? He says this, a refusal to be entangled with this world, it springs from a desire, verse number four, to please our Lord, our general. Why? Because he has chosen us to be a soldier. He has chosen us to be a soldier. And we ought to desire to please him. We ought to go into battle for him. We ought to say, I, I, I'm going to serve to my last breath the Savior who's done so much for me. It's a motivation that he says here, and he's called us to the fight, but may we never forget this single truth that Paul is alluding to. When entanglement grows, service suffers. We can all attest to this. 
You and I know people who've been in church, who've grown up in church, who've served in the church, and they've become entangled. They've become engrossed in the world. They, they've become enticed by the world. And boy, their service for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has dissipated. It, it's been minimized initially, and boy, it's just gone downhill. And all of a sudden, they're hardly serving their Lord, not just in the local church, but even on a day-to-day basis. They very rarely put the Lord first. They're very rarely all about serving their king. In many ways, they've taken themselves out of the battle. And Christian, can I tell you right now, the battle will not be over till you and I are with our Savior. The war continues. And so he encourages us, don't, don't, don't be weighed down. Don't allow your serving to suffer because you are engaging in a life of entanglement. Could I ask you tonight, are you entangled? Are you enduring? Number three, verse number five. You know, uh, another issue that comes is a living that is extra legal. Okay? What does that mean? Well, the word just simply, the term means you live outside the law. Look at verse number five. This is what he says. And if a man also strive for the master, he is not, yet is he not crowned, except he what? Strive lawfully, according to the law. So, uh, so often the fact is this, uh, uh, Paul makes it clear that when we're in war, that when we strive after the masteries, as he puts it, we must do so according to law, the rules. We must strive lawfully. It simply means that you and I live according to the rules that God lays down for how this new life in Christ is to be lived. How easy it is for us to want to write the, law, write the rules of how we're going to um, live our lives, how we're going to serve God. Okay, God, I'll serve you, but I'll do it this way, according to our rules. Maybe you, like I, have had the privilege or the disappointment, whatever you want to describe it as, playing a game like checkers with like a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Or make it worse, what if you popped out a Monopoly board and you're going to play a three- or four-year-old? I remember playing checkers with Ryan at one point, and all of a sudden, I, I set up the board, and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but he was going here to here to here and thing like that. And I, I'm like, Ryan, that's not how you play. It's how I play. <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> and so it was quickly not a game of checkers, but us just moving everything around, having fun and, and giggling and laughing, okay? Listen, you know, some people treat life that way with God, treat serving God that way. God lays down the law. God lays down the rules. Okay, this is what service is. I've called you to do this, and I want you to do this. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to do it this way, and I want to do it this way, and I want to do it this way. And boy, he says, wait a minute. You want to receive a crown? You do it according to what? God's rules. You do it according to God's rules. And it's not to surprise us because this starts a long time ago, right? This started Adam and Eve in the garden. The reality is, God, we're not going to play by your rules. We won't go by our rules. Devil comes along and encourages them. Now in salvation, everybody wants to rewrite God's rules. If I just live a good life, I'll get to heaven. If I just do good works, I'll get to heaven. We want to rewrite the rules. So is it no surprise that when sometimes that people who get saved, they want to rewrite the rules about serving God? God, I, I, yeah, thank you for the free gift of salvation, but I'll live my life according to my rules. I'll, I'll serve you in the way that I want to choose, in the way I dictate, in the way that I design. And I tell you, reality is only true faith can produce a faithfulness in living the Christian life according to God's instructions. See, when you're truly saved and you have a faith that is grounded and anchored in Jesus Christ, it produces a faithfulness. God, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I want to be faithful to serve you in a way that you dictate. 
See, so many people today want to accept the free gift of eternal life from God, but refuse to live that new life according to the laws of the Lord. See, I'll put it this way. True faith produces in us a desire to live the way God dictates and to serve in the manner he determines in his word and through his leading and to do all according to his rule. I'm telling you, Paul, Paul is the perfect example of this. When he got saved, it was no longer what Paul was doing, no longer the fast track to being the high priest, no longer, hey, this Judaism and everything else that I've been steeped in my entire life. No, 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 God, I'm going to live it according to your law, your rules. And Paul rewrote his life, turned it upside down, inside out, and he lived according to God's rules. And he said, Lord, I'm going to serve you the way that you lead, the way you dictate. So many so often ignore that. See, Paul says to Timothy, listen, Timothy, start with faithfulness and serving the Lord. Just be faithful serving. Like a good soldier, would you endure hardness? Don't, don't let your endurance suffer. Don't, don't let your service suffer because you lack endurance. Don't do that. And then, Timothy, don't become entangled in this world. Ah, oh, Timothy, let me tell you about Demas. Timothy, let me tell you about so-and-so. Let me tell you about the church of Corinth. They are so stuck in the world and entangled. Oh, it's going to take anything and all, oh, my letters and work and prayers, preaching to get them untangled. Timothy, don't get tangled. Don't get entangled in this world. And then Timothy, as he says lastly here, don't, don't get caught up in living extra legal. In other words, outside the laws of God, the dictate of what he says. Beware. Be careful. Because your service can suffer lack of faithfulness when we allow those things to interrupt it. Look at verse number 8. Notice what he goes on to say. Verse number 8. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble, as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. There's a theme of these verses. We'll say it number two is this. Number two, be faithful in suffering. Be faithful in suffering. Boy, Paul knew suffering, and so he encourages Timothy, be careful, be ready, be prepared. You're going to have to be faithful in the midst of suffering, in the face of suffering. He doesn't mince the words, does he? Notice that passage we just read. I suffer trouble. I am called an evildoer because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am bound. I'm in prison. And he says, if we suffer, literally meaning when we suffer. He understood and he made it clear to Timothy, adherence to the gospel and the doctrine of Jesus Christ will set us up to suffer. He makes it clear, I suffer and I endure unjustly. All because I'm a child of the king. Now listen, when I bring up suffering for Jesus, when, when we bring up, in some ways, having to go through a difficult time and people oppressing us because we follow Jesus Christ, immediately our minds are drawn to persecution, martyrs and such. And that's good and that's true. There are such things. But can I also remind you, the kind of suffering that Paul alludes to, it, it takes many different forms. Yes, persecution. Yes, martyrdom. Yes, bullying and other things that, that uh, take place. But let me also... Let me put it into common day or modern day context. You know, there's some here tonight, you are suffering at the hands of extended family. 
that wants nothing to do with your faith, and so by extension, they want nothing to do with you. There's some here tonight that you're suffering at the hands of coworkers. You endure a workplace that is no friend to any believer, and it's filled with people who want nothing to do with God and His Word and His truth and certainly His followers. Some of you tonight, you, you are suffering from a constant attack of the God of this world and His legions. You know, there are times that I wish that I could see the spiritual realm, but then I quickly think, I don't think I'd want to because that'd be pretty scary. Pretty discouraging how often you and I are attacked when we are simply trying to do what? Follow God. Serve God. And yet, there's going to be suffering. See, what we have to come to realize is the very moment that you and I took the name of Jesus Christ, we also took a big bullseye on our back. Satan knows what he's doing. And even as we saw in the case of Job, and even as Paul alluded to his own thorn in the flesh, there are times that God allows Satan to come at you and I. He, he, he allows him to pester us, and he allows things to happen in our lives, even that Satan may be the author of, to cause you and I to suffer. I don't know what's going on in your life this week, last week, but friend, it is very possible that Satan's been at work. He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to stop your faithfulness to the Lord. Maybe it's faithfulness in serving, or, or maybe it's, it's faithfulness in some other area of your life, but he's trying to stop it. He's trying to uh, literally stop you in your tracks. But this, all, this suffering can also take another form. And so often, maybe we, don't, we discredit this. We don't mention it enough. Do you realize that suffering as a Christian sometimes takes the form of loneliness? Loneliness. Friendships that are lost. Family members that are estranged because one trusts in the Lord. Prosperity and success here on earth is forfeited. All simply because you are a believer. And even more than that, you're a faithful believer. And so it creates some times of loneliness. You're lonely at work. You can be lonely among your own family on earth and and, uh, your blood relatives. And uh, you have lost friendships. Talking to somebody this week and Literally, the statement was, you know, all those friends from when I was before, I don't have any of them anymore. There's just no friends there. Same breath, thankful for my friends at church, but reality was all the friendships out there just fell apart. There's a loneliness that sometimes we can suffer from. And yet, the fact is, and never miss this. I, I hope you'll hold on to this. I have come to realize in my lifetime, through observations, certainly within the Scriptures, but also life experiences, and, and just even this week talking to some folks. My goodness, I, you, know, you know what's true? This is true. There's, it's called to faithfulness and suffering, but let's understand this. To accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior will cause you to suffer and be rejected by some. It's going to happen. Now, some of us were insulated in a sense because most of the people, family and friends, maybe when we trusted Christ, we, we, uh, they were Christians too. But reality is, we've probably all gone into the world somewhere in a workplace or, or some other format or location. And uh, when we identified ourselves as a Christian, we got the look. We got the treatment. And maybe you suffer because of it. 
But let me take it up a degree. Let's go up another level. To live committed and dedicated to Christ will cause more suffering and more people to reject you. Now, even this is even on a letter. There may even be other Christians who reject us because we want to live a committed life. We, we want to live a life in which we're dedicated to Jesus Christ. And so, you know what? You take it up another level. and boy, I, I'm going to do my best to live committed and dedicated to Jesus Christ. And we're suffering, certainly at the hands of Satan. And certainly, even at the hands of other people. Then you want to take it up a whole other level? Another degree of discipleship? To forsake all for Christ. To live a fully consecrated life will cause much suffering and many more people to reject you. And yet, in spite of it all, you know what Jesus Christ says? Take up my cross. Follow me. Take it up. Come on, you're a soldier of the cross. Endure hardness because you're a soldier. Join me. Oh, man. But, but, but Paul, but Jesus, we're, we're going to have to endure some suffering. Yeah, you are. But my friend, even as Paul would write, the, the suffering of this world is nothing compared to the glory we will experience in heaven for all of eternity. So he says, hey, be careful. But that kind of faithfulness is only produced by a true faith. Why do we see people in, in, described in Christ's own parable about the, the soil that received uh, the seed, and yet reality is uh, uh, things happen, and, and hardness comes, and boy, the seed is lost, and they just, uh, they, they just don't grow. They don't receive it if they were saved even in the first place. Why does that happen? Because you know, reality is hardness is going to come. It has amazed me as I have grown in the Lord and as I have grown up physically and have heard different testimonies of different people. It amazes me how many people, when they first get saved, how much can go wrong in people's life. Right after they get saved. And we know what it is. All who will live godly shall suffer persecution. Satan's coming after you and others are going to give you a hard time. Man, it's going to be difficult. And boy, it's amazing to me sometimes when people truly trust in Jesus Christ, how many bad things can happen. Satan's just coming after them, trying to convince them they made the wrong decision. You, know, you didn't mean it. And boy, just trying to hit them left and right. Furthermore, can I also say this? We go back to our outline. Suffering often comes in the way of sacrificing. You and I can often suffer in the necessity of sacrificing something in our desire and pursuit of being faithful to God. Uh, much that the world would flaunt in our face, much, much that the Satan would hold as a carrot in front of the, uh, at the end of a stick for you and I trying to entice us, we've suffered through the sacrifice of time to pursue selfish desires and interests. How many of you have driven to church on a Sunday morning and you're going to serve the Lord and yet you see a neighbor, you see someone down the road, they're pulling out in their boat or better part of the season, they're, they're getting out in their hunting gear. They're doing something. They're, they're spending their time according to their own pursuits. They, they are spending uh, their time and energy uh, according to what they want, their interest. And you know what? When you and I come to serve the Lord, when you and I come to live for him, there is sacrifice that's involved. 
And sometimes you and I suffer that reality of sacrifice. Treasure laid up here on earth. Creature comforts in the present. The easier path in certain situations. Well, if I were acting like the world instead of trying to please God in this situation, I'd just sweep it under the rug. I, I wouldn't deal with it biblically. I, I wouldn't address it the way that God would want me to. It'd be a lot easier to act like the world and just do that. But sometimes you and I have to sacrifice that kind of comfort. Convenience. We sacrifice that because why? You and I are doing what we do to please our Lord. We want to be found faithful, not just in one area, but faithful in everything. See, being faithful means to endure all these aspects of suffering and sacrifice and in facing such things. You know what happens sometimes? And and people have expressed it to me. Boy, I feel bound. I feel like I'm in prison and loneliness. I'm imprisoned by sacrifice and so forth. But I love what Paul wrote. Did you you catch it here? Uh, He writes in verse number nine, basically, though he was bound at times, he gained strength and reminded himself that God's word is not bound. I may be bound. I may be going through loneliness. I may be going through suffering in one way or the other, through sacrifice, you name it. He says, but God's word is not bound. And look at verse 10. Here's the next three words. God's word is not bound. Therefore, I endure. And I endure what? All things. I can endure it. I'm going to be faithful. No matter what is thrown my way, what kind of suffering it is, God's word is not bound. I love that statement. And then he says, I know if I suffer, I will reign with my king. Wouldn't it be neat one day? Wouldn't it be neat one day to be by Jesus Christ and maybe stand as he sits there on the throne? Many years ago, about 10 years ago now, right before we moved here to Michigan, we had the privilege of going in the White House. Take a peek in many of those rooms and so forth. That's a neat thing. But boy, I can't help but think, you know, one day you and I are going to reign with Jesus Christ. Over all the world. Over all mankind. We'll know the king who sits on the throne. And we'll reign with him. So be faithful. Faithful. Faithfulness in serving and faithfulness even in suffering in the face of it. You see, in verse 13, too, I love what he says here, that God's going to be faithful even if we are not. Why? Because he cannot deny who he is. What is God? God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that year, Abel, tried above that year. We'll provide a way of escape with it. And my friend, listen to me. God is faithful even when we falter. Look quickly, if you will, verse 14 and following through verse 18. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Real quick, look at number three. We are called to be faithful in, in uh, ooh, this is not right. That's supposed to say standing, okay? So don't write suffering in there, all right? Uh, be faithful in standing. Be faithful in standing, okay? He details three things that we as believers will face today. Number one, did you catch what he said? He basically said this. The pressure will be there. 
The pressure will be present on those who are faithful to the word of God. Those who spew false teachings and twist the the truth. He said this, will increase the more unto more ungodliness. Their vain babblings, and it's going to increase. And he's talking to Timothy in the time of apostasy. It's coming. In fact, he says this, and this is an amazing statement to me. They will be so persuasive that it will lead, verse 18, to the overthrowing of some people's faith. Wow. How much more crucial it is for you and I to stand for truth if there will be some out there who are spewing lies to the degree that some will be overthrown in their faith. Their false words, the alternative truth, he describes it like a canker. And it's literally gangrene. In fact, it's the Greek word from which we derive our word gangrene. It spreads before you know it. It spreads corruption and decay. It kills the very faith of some people. That's what their words are like. Pressure is going to be exerted upon Christians to cave, to fold, to not speak up, step up and stand up for the truth of the doctrine of God. So Paul says, put them in remembrance. Don't be ashamed of the word of God. The pressure is going to be there. Are you faithful in standing for God's word? When someone says something that's not true, do you speak up? Say, well, that's, that's not true. God's word says this. God did this. God said this. Do you stand up? Do you speak up? That's what Paul is telling Timothy. The pressure is going to be there for you and I to back down, to not, in fact, uh, to embrace lies. Number two, he says this, the priority needed in our focus. He says, don't strive over things that are of no profit. Don't, don't waste your time on things that are unprofitable for the hearer. You, you ought to shun profane and vain babblings. That's that anti-scriptural, anti-biblical dribble that flows from a heart of a uh, rebellion against God. Literally, he encourages us to prioritize the truth of God's word. The doctrine, the gospel that Jesus Christ gave us. So prioritize the doctrines of God. Prioritize the gospel. Stand for those things. Number three, the preparation that's crucial to stand in the face of increasing wickedness. He says, study to show thyself. Two actions, one precedes the other. Study to show. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he's encouraging you and I, we've got to study to show we got to make sure that, that we are doing so, that we're proved to God, a follower that rightly divides the word of truth. And so the reality is this, you must study to stand. You're not going to stand for God. You're not going to do be a faithful Christian who stands. Oh, you'll be kind of cowering in the corner, standing for what's right. As we have these last few weeks and last few months preached about things that are difficult, Things that are um, hot top, uh, topic buttons or top button topics, however you want to say it. There have been several people who said, hey, I, I, man, I, I can't believe you're preaching on that. And I, uh, wow, I can't believe you're doing that. Can I just say, you know, reality is this. How can we not? How can we not? Yeah, yeah it's... It's a little scary that, you know, first of all, maybe Facebook will shut us down. Uh, word gets around. Somebody tries to test what we preach and so forth. Or somebody comes at me personally. Yeah, there's always that fear. But Jesus Christ says, don't fear those who can harm the body. Fear him. So if we don't do what we're called to do, if we don't stand faithful to the truth, my friend, I much more fear standing before a God and not hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
I fear it much more than what somebody can do throwing me in prison or doing something here on earth that is in a really, honestly, who knows, that might just be right around the corner for us who preach the gospel. We ought to fear it much more. You see, the, the old adage has some truth to it. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And sadly, there's many churches, many Christians who pretty much fall for anything because they don't stand for something. You and I need to stand and understand that we can be faithful in doing so. Be faithful in standing for God, the face of worsening times, in the midst of a lack of willingness to even listen to the truth, and during this time of an outright widespread rebellion. Real quick, I'll give you the next one and we'll be done. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. I love this period here. Then it starts, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, number three, or number four is this, okay? Be faithful in standing. Number four, be faithful in showing. It's as if Paul in this verse is saying this. God knows who are his. He knows his children. Now go show it to everybody else. I love that the first statement, God knows who you are. The second one is, now let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And then he goes on in verses 20 through 26 to describe that. What does this look like? And again, you read it. He talks about being a vessel of honor in God's house. And he talks, flee youthful, you lust. Do these things, be patient, apt to teach, meekness. He lists a whole bunch of things that you and I are supposed to demonstrate. We're supposed to show in this life. We're supposed to be faithful to produce this fruit. And he really says two things, okay? And again, we're just going to zip through it. Number one, he says, depart from iniquity. Number two, be dedicated to being a vessel of honor, verses 20 and 21. That's how you show your faith. Jesus Christ knows who are his, who have taken his name. So you and I are called to demonstrate it, to show it to others through departing from iniquity, through being dedicated to being a vessel of honor. See, true faith will work in us to do these two things. In Romans chapter 6, and again, we don't have time to do it. Romans chapter 6, verses 18 through 22, is leading up to Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? As it leads up to that, verses 18 through 22, you remember what it says? You are no longer a servant to sin. You are a servant of righteousness. You have been freed from sin. And I love the concept because the reality is this. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you and I to live perfectly in the definition of sin-free. Yes, perfect maturity and so forth. Yes, that's, we get that, but not sin-free. Because why? We have the sin nature. We have the sin nature, and that's going to be a struggle all the time. That's what Paul said in Romans. But you know what? Though you and I may not be able to live perfectly, we can live pardoned. We've been pardoned. See, sin's penalty, sin's uh, control, sin's uh, uh, corruption... It's not a part of us anymore. So he says, Paul here says, live like it and show it. Live like it and show it. Live like a pardoned person. Could you imagine what somebody in prison was like? And, and maybe they were sentenced to a lifetime in prison. And somebody came along, and a president or somebody or governor, and they said, okay, you've served enough. You, you, the, the penalty's been paid. Uh, we're going to set you free. But could you imagine how they would live the rest of their life? Whatever time they have left, they walk out of the prison. They weren't supposed to be free. They, they were supposed to be living a lifetime in prison. And they walk out like, I've got life now. 
And I would guarantee you that they sure wouldn't want to do anything to go back. You know what it means for you and I to live pardoned? Every sin we committed made us guilty. Jesus Christ came along and freed us, pardoned us. And as I'm pardoned, man, I want to go out and live every day as a person who's been pardoned. Let me put it in context in this way. You take an unbeliever. When an unbeliever sins, that sin is added to a long account. It further confirms, it further uh, enshrines them or makes certain that they will spend eternity in hell in the lake of fire. So today, some of your coworkers sinned. Somebody, somebody cursed. Somebody did something. Maybe they stole something. They said something. Maybe they cheated. Whatever the case may be, unbelievers that you uh, rub shoulders with, that, that we cross paths with today, every sin they committed was added to their list, and it just confirmed that they will spend eternity in heaven, rightfully so. Can I put it this way? Unbelievers, they are forever guilty. Every sin they commit today, it just goes on the long list on their account. And it's there, bold, to the long list. And it confirms that they're guilty forever. But when you and I sin as believers, when we confess that sin and that sin is removed from our account, listen to me, as far as the east is from the west. It is buried in the deepest ocean. And as such, the fact is this, our sins are forever gone. So Paul says, listen, Timothy, go live like you're pardoned. God's not asking for perfect sin for you. You're not going to be able to do that. But you ought to pursue it and you ought to live righteously. But live like a pardoned person because, my friend, you are. You sin tonight, you sin tomorrow, you ought to stop, you ought to confess it, but you ought in the same breath, you ought to thank your God in heaven that it doesn't confirm that you're going to hell. It just confirms that you have a great God who has removed your sins from you and from your account. Aren't you thankful tonight that you know Jesus Christ? May you and I be faithful now in serving, in standing, in suffering, in here, and showing that we are pardoned children of God. Just encourage you with that truth. I'll leave it up there. True faith produces faithfulness. And these four things, we'll leave it up. And maybe it'll be part of your prayer time. You know, Lord, help me be faithful in this area. Lord, help me be faithful in this. Lord, I've, I've let up being faithful here. I've been entangled. I, I haven't had the endurance. Just make it a matter of prayer tonight. We'll have those prayer requests, Brother Cliff.